Hey guys, welcome back to the Motor Madhouse for yet another episode. My name is Mike and joined by my good buddy Steve. How's it going, Steve? Pretty good. Good to be back good. again in my cold yeah. garage today this winter. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I, I think uh, I saw your breath there during that one. So. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I forgot to take into account how it's like negative 14 outside. So I, I started my <laughs> garage heater like 20 minutes before we started recording and it's pretty well insulated in here, but it was still 32 when I came out. But we're up to a balmy 39 degrees now. So Oh, perfect. Yeah, that's if you're watching on YouTube. Don't be distracted by my breath as I speak. People, people in Houston right now are like dying because of that temperature. So they're it's not. Oh, bad, yeah. So. Yeah. How you been faring with this uh, first pretty big snow and then then the cold oh, snap behind? Yeah, not bad. You know, I my daily is a old German car, so uh, it drives. It gets there, but the battery is just a little bit low. So every time I go to start it, I'm like, come on, please. Right. <laughs> just <laughs> hoping it's going to get going. But yeah. otherwise doing all right. I was uh, plowing Friday when the first snow uh, went to my first account, which is a big giant uh, trucking company. It's a giant gravel lot, probably length of two football fields. <clears throat> so it's a lot of down and back, down and back. And I'm just driving a three quarter ton pickup with a flat blade plow. And um, it's my second time plowing it. And I, I did it on Wednesday, two days prior to the snowfall. And my previous snow banks had turned to ice, which I was aware of, but I kept pushing up against them. So I had this fresh powder with these <coughs> cement basic blocks behind oh, yeah. there that were, you know, are just made out of ice. And about five 30 in the morning, I've been at it for about an hour. I, uh, went to go push into the snow bank and I thought I was pushing into my nice fluffy, fresh pile, but there was one little iceberg hidden in there. Ooh. And I don't think I could do it again if I tried, but it pushed the release pin on one side of my plow as it pushed the plow sideways and bent my plow mount. So I was like, Ooh, that felt like this violent shift. And I put it in reverse and I see the passenger headlight of my plow just drop down 45 degrees. It took my entire plow off the truck. So I I put it in reverse and the driver's side pin was still in. So I dragged it back about a hundred feet. Luckily this is at like a, they have a diesel shop there. So they didn't open until eight, but I knew we get it close to the shop. We could fix it. And uh, after I got it back there, I put it in drive, move forward, and the driver pin just falls out, and the whole plows off the truck. And I'm like, <laughs> great. we got 10 more inches coming today. This is going to be great. But, yeah, it took about two hours. I had to go home, get a floor jack, and a couple. Yeah, those aren't easy to by yourself. No, uh, it's not easy to do in a warm garage. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I think this is going to be my last year doing this. Then I later that night, after 12 hours of plowing, uh. I heard a weird sound and smelled something kind of funny and this one driveway I was doing. And I was like, what is that? It's not, it's not rubber. It's a little plasticky. I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I heard this hiss and the hiss stopped. All the gauges look good. So I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> so I just kept going <laughs> two hours later. I mean, I've been driving around and just beating the hell out of it. The lady whose driveway I had the funny smell at sent me a picture of this little round plastic circle. And she goes, does this look familiar? I could smell it from my sidewalk. And I was like, Oh geez, what's going on here? So I finish up, and luckily I'm like two miles from home at this point. Pop the hood, and the pulley on the belt tensioner—it's a six-o Chevy truck, uh, gas motor, obviously—and uh, it had smoked the entire pulley that shredded off the bearing, <clears throat> and somehow the serpentine belt stayed in line and snapped down onto the bearing that had nothing left in the middle, and just spun and ran fine for two hours. The belt <laughs> was starting to fray a little bit, but it wasn't burning. <clears throat> It didn't. I I would imagine that would have smoked itself in like thirty seconds of running without a pulley, but two hours of plowing 
I think I saw you. You posted a photo or a story on that, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was bizarre. I don't know. I don't know how it stayed out intact. Then I fixed that, and the next day I smoked the alternator. So it's going great. It's great. Uh, I uh, I was cleaning up at the farm. I was using a skid steer for that to pick up the snow, which it's just a slow progress, right? Like pick up a bucket, move it somewhere, and I uh, ripped the tire off one of the wheels. It was just slow on air, just twisting around, right? Which is the added complexity of being stuck out in the middle of the snow somewhere. So you're going through almost knee deep snow to get back. And but what I'll say is I <clears throat> got one of those tire beaters from uh Harbor Freight. I don't know if you're using those. Man, that thing's magic. Is it the compressed air that you shoot into yeah, it? Yeah. I yeah. just put it right back on, fill up the tire there. I mean, I was going again like 15 minutes, you know. That's awesome. That perfect. So <clears throat> speaking of cold uh air though we, i was kind of hinting at a story that i was seeing nbc chicago was covering this um the ev owners um again i i will not say that i hate evs i just don't think that they're ready <laughs> but uh, I, I, they're not ready for me by any means but um it's just another sign that they're not ready for this um all the owners were having trouble getting charged because electricity flows slower when it's colder, right? Uh, batteries don't last as long in the colder. So you can just imagine the the craze of when we try to get fuel and the pumps are being used and it's taking a little bit longer because everybody's there. Same thing's happening with these EVs. Everybody's trying to get charged up before the cold weather hits. Cars are dying, waiting in line, having to get towed away, um, which are a horrible thing to try to get actually jump started again, try to get charged back into those batteries. So just tons of EV drivers left stranded in Chicago this past weekend because of just not being prepared for the vehicle they owned. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think I mean, if you just... have something like that, you have to have it at home charging, but if you're living in Chicago, what are your options? If you live in a, you know, apartment yeah. complex, what, like what's the percentage like of the range fall off when, when it's below zero, is there like a, there's gotta be a graph someone's made at this point. Yeah. It, it depends on the manufacturer. So some are as much as just over 20%. Um, and some are as low as just like five. So it, it, it does vary, which, and that's at 32 degrees, right? When yeah. it's just start getting below freezing. I'm sure as you get to zero, or I think it was negative 10 at some points this last weekend, or even tonight, right? Um, so that probably has a little bit more fall off. But to have that much at 32, that's kind of a problem for me, right? Yeah, that's and that's the other, the flip side of the coin. Again, the summertime, it taxes the grid because everyone's running their air conditioners in their houses. So it's... right. Their extreme weather is not, they, they don't play well with EVs, but no. yeah, only time will tell. And like you said, we're not anti-EV. It's just the concept of replacing every internal combustion engine in a decade is just seems like <laughs> science fiction. Yeah, but, yeah for hey. sure. So anyways, we wanted to, this episode, we want to talk kind of, uh, let the listeners get to know us a little better and kind of share some of our own personal car stories. And I'm sure... I don't think we've probably heard the ones we're going to tell each other. Maybe one of them, you know, a little bit about that. I'm going to tell you, but um, it's kind of fun for us to both hear these for the first time and also for people listening to kind of know our experiences and, you know, show how long we've been into cars <laughs> and some of the things we've been through. So um, I got a few prepared. We'll see how much time we have, but I'll let you kick it off and see what you got. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I thought of a lot of different directions to go with this, but I, you know, you were talking about purchasing issues and it reminded me of this particular story. So um, I used to buy cars on eBay, right? Like and that, I mean, people still do that obviously, but like I would purchase them and go fly to go buy them and then drive them back here because 
to get the car that's clean that doesn't have rust on it sometimes you have to go a little while when you live in wisconsin right so i would um bid these cars buy them and fly out and th the first one i ever did was the worst story um tons of complications one made a mistake thought my flight was at 6 30 a.m it was at 6 30 p.m in o'hare so hang out at the airport forever you know call the the seller up and tell them hey i'm not going to be in there till like 10 p.m uh so you get out there and again me and my buddy I, I took a friend with me just to make sure you know in case it went wrong he could have two people but get out there and you know i gotta carry cash with me that's kind of how the guy won the deal to go down didn't do three bay this is 2003 right before really good payment terms were done electronically um guy uh tells me he's gonna show up on a cadillac all right you know this this uh escalade pulls up and latino guy wife beater pulls up hey you steve yeah get in and me and my buddy are like kind of freaked out at the moment right? <laughs> like it's, it's about like 10 30 11 p.m at night in philadelphia i think we flew out to if i remember correctly um and you know we're, we're trusting the dude and he's taking us out into the middle of nowhere right because obviously he doesn't live in right next to the airport so we're driving out in the middle of the woods and my buddy and we don't have cell phones right 2003 just, just we're just gonna go die in this guy's car i guess young right? kids like, with a lot of cash in your pocket <laughs> yeah, exactly um so we're driving us the woods and my buddy's just like you know everybody's like dude what the, what the hell like this is not good we need to get out of this car and the dude's not even talking to us i think he's just in hindsight tired but like in the moment just seemed like he didn't want anything to do with us but um we eventually get to his home and everything was fine we didn't get killed but um obviously <laughs> but we we see the car and it's perfect like the dude just restored these old bmws and like it was the best outcome could have possibly happened so paid the dude but then we had to drive all the way back so you have to remember that we've been up since 4 a.m when we left for o'hare <clears throat> thought we're gonna die a little bit freaked out had some energy off of that and then we wanted to drive all the way back in a solid drive no no stand overnight you know i didn't want to spend the cash I, I was trying to get this car cheap right and um making the drive back on a car i've never driven um you know hoping hoping that it's good quality car and it went well but we locked ourselves out at a gas station and it's it's kind of this weird bmw thing that you can actually lock the doors even with the keys inside of it. it's called the central locking system um and lock the, the key in there but we happen to have the trunk open because you could lock it from the trunk apparently so have to get in the back have to find a way to jimmy this seat down and get that to go down and crawl our way up into the front to get the key it was just a nightmare and that's four in the morning in the middle of indiana right <laughs> some truck stop 24 um, hours of no sleep <laughs> yeah get all the way um back home eventually come through chicago and get back home and it's like 7 a.m and again this is just how it was when i was younger you could do this like and you know some buddies asked if we want to go out and hang out that day and go parking lot do some burnout some things like that right we drove all the way out there with this car um not having slept for I, I can't even think about how many hours at this point right um 
did all that and literally fell asleep in the parking lot in this car, <laughs> just hanging out with her buddies, just just exhausted. But so that was the 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 most trouble I've ever went to to get a car. And then turned out I crashed the thing and destroyed it anyways. But uh, I'll tell that story another day. But yeah, that was a ton of work. Could have went very sketchy. Like I would, if my kids said they're gonna go fly out to go get a car with a pocket full of cash and no phone, I'd be like, no, no. No way! <laughs> like I'll come with you. Like would have never let them do it. And nothing against my parents, but we we're just more trusting of people, right? Back then, I guess. So, but <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was uh, the the furthest extent. I, I've bought multiple cars since then on eBay, but I think I was a little bit safer going forward. So. <laughs> yeah, you you learn from your past experiences. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I got a another one that's in the lines of buying a car. This is about ten years ago. I was selling my 08 G8 GT as the pro charged one I mentioned before is like 600 wheel horse. Love the car, but it was an automatic. I got bored with it and I wanted to get into a six speed. So I put it for sale on Craigslist and there's a buyer from Oklahoma who wants to buy it. And he said, he's going to pay cash for it. I'm like, sounds good. And then I was like, he's like, can you meet me in St. Louis? And I was living in Rockford, Illinois at the time. So it's about five hours in St. Louis. And I'm like, well, yeah, but then, how am I going to get back? Like, okay, I have a couple options. Have someone follow me down there and drive me home, um, trailer it down, and then come back. Or I could try to live a little and try to line up a car purchase in St. Louis while I'm in down there <clears throat> and buy another car and drive it home. So being 24 years old and being a car fanatic, I was like, I'm going to try to do this. I'm trying to buy a car when I'm down there. So I start hunting <laughs> that night. And I find a C5 Corvette, six-speed target top, blue, 80,000-mile tan interior, real nice car, coarse exhaust for twelve grand, And I'm selling the G8 for sixteen. So I'm like, this would be perfect. I have four grand in my pocket, drive it home. It's a beautiful summer day. I was like, come back with the target top down, jamming some gears. And I want to get a Corvette anyway. So checked all the boxes. So I call the guy with the Corvette, tell him the situation. And he's like, so you're serious? Like, you're consider it sold then? And I was like, yeah. Like, I, I can't get home if I don't buy it. So if <laughs> unless like I get there and it's knocking or something, like if it's as you describe, I'm taking the car. And he's like, no, it's, it's it goes anywhere. It runs great. It's super clean, garage kept. So I, uh, ironically, unrelated to part of the story, I forgot. Um, I was I just went on a date with this girl like two days prior to selling the G8, and she wanted to hang out that night. And I was like, well, I can't. I got to go to St. Louis and sell a car. And she's like, oh, can I go with? And I was like, <laughs> um, I mean, we had one date, but sure, <laughs> if you want to go. So <laughs> she she tagged along with me and we get there and we're driving down and I get to the St. Louis Arch. That's how far I am to this trip. I'm, I'm like 25 minutes away from meeting the buyer for the G8. I call the uh, guy with the Corvette, just like I told him. I said, when I see the Arch, I'll call you. Make sure you're, you know, give me the directions mm -hmm. to get in there. And he goes, he goes, oh, car sold. Oh, no. I, said, I was like, what? He goes, I sold the car two hours ago. I was like, I talked to you last night. I told you what's going on. Like, I'm coming down. I needed your car to get home. As well, this guy drove four hours to get here. I was like, I I'm driving five. <laughs> <laughs> How did this guy beat me? I called before him. I told you I'm serious. So nothing I could do about that. Now I'm getting there. This guy from Oklahoma drove three hours to meet me. I can't tell him deals off. Uh, neither of us are 25 at the time. So we can get a, we can't rent a car or anything, um, to get back home. And so we meet the G8 guy. I tell him what's going on. 
And he's like, oh, man, like, do you want me to like, hang out with you guys so you figure it out? And I'm like, no, no, it's not your problem. So long story short, he pays me in cash. So I have $16,000 cash. Oh, no. In St. In Louis. St. Louis. Oh, no man. car. <laughs> it was not a bad part of town, but still not fun. Um, just me <clears> and some <throat> girl I barely know. And uh, so I'm like, okay, like, thank, thank myself out of this one. There's got to be a way out. So I just hop back on Craigslist, punching Corvettes again. Like, what's out there? So just on the other side of the Missouri border in, in Illinois, hour away, there's a guy who has a 99, uh, what's the uh, metallic red, like that burgundy color, automatic, oh, yeah. yeah. 70,000 miles. And I think it was like 85 or 9,500 for a super C5. clean car. Yeah. So I, was, I mean, this was 10 <laughs> you could years never ago. Do that. Yeah. So I was, I call him like, this is actually a better deal than the other one. So I call him, tell him what's going on. He's like, oh, well, yeah, this is a great car. You know, if you want it, it's yours. But I'm an hour away from St. Louis and I got to leave for a wedding in an hour and 20 minutes. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, Good God. So, so we call a taxi cab and he's like, how much for a ride to this place? He's like, oh, yeah, $110. I'm like, get over here now. Let's go. So he, he comes over and picks us up and uh, takes us over there. And I, I put more thought into buying a candy bar than I did this Corvette. I just, he was <laughs> one of the door, his wife's dressed up for the wedding. He's I was like, title, title, here's the cash. Just. Hopped it in, didn't even test drive it, drove it home, and the car was phenomenal. It was actually a better deal than the other one. I got, got home and made money on it. It was uh, I had it for about three weeks after I got home, just kind of used it as a daily for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but it was it was uh, very exhilarating, but I don't ever want to do that again. I'm trying to imagine that that person's perception of that, right? Like mm-hmm. this dude just shows up in a taxi cab with woman in, in tow, right? Finally <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> cash and like Barely yeah. even looks at the car, like <laughs> yeah. And as far as the girl goes, it turns out I was the side guy, so that didn't last very long. So oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was the worst part. <laughs> the deal, yeah. uh, or I just scared her off because I was way too uh, adventurous, apparently. But well, yeah, that uh, that is a hell of a second date, right? Like, hey, let's go to St. Louis to the G8, and then see what happens. <laughs> came, came home in a Corvette like I planned. It just yeah, uh, it's my only automatic Corvette I've ever owned. But I didn't really yeah. have any uh, beggars can't be choosers. Well, you flipped a couple of autos into, or those at manuals? That's the only auto I always did manuals. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Um, I I have never driven a auto one of those. I assume they're okay, but it was it seemed slower. I don't know why. Like I could I had to, like to get to a burnout. I had to really brake torque it. Like it would not just do it. Like maybe it had super high gears or something. That was a four just, speed in those, right? Or yeah, four. Yeah, was it still the four hundred sixty? I think it was. Probably, I don't know. probably was. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I can see that being taller gears, right? But it probably still got to 60 pretty good, be my guess. Yeah. Yep. I always thought about getting one of those C5s and doing, I, I don't want to do like the full like Cletus McFarlane tear down, like make it into a whole death card thing, but like it'd be a cool drag car project, like lighten it up a little bit and throw some power at it. Like there's not that much money. Yeah. But, another great cars. Yeah, that that's a wild one, and um, I mean, again, that that goes to the the length to go get deals, which now is so much easier. You, I mean, you you buy cars and you have them transported often, right? Is that yeah, I probably that a bit. I've probably done that at least a dozen times. Um, I used to be more risky. I do it sight unseen. Uh, later, I started using a third party um, inspection, and it's, you pay a like hundred bucks. They send someone that's qualified to go look at it, take a thousand pictures, do a full review on the car, and then they kind of show you every imperfection on the car and then what have you backed out of because of that like what is that 
showing you that you're like, oh, no thanks, or have you bought all of them? I think the ones I've done, I've bought them all. My my dad's tried it a few times and come across a couple that were just, you know, classic cards that were full of Bondo, <laughs> and the guy says original sheet metal, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it's well worth the $100 to pay somebody to oh, yeah. go do it. But And then to kind of insure yourself from getting, uh, you know, to send in money sight unseen, because there's so many scams with that. We, uh, my dad actually came up with this concept that I've done it several times now. It works great. You talk to, you find out where the guy's at. Then you look up his town, find a local dealership that's like, you know, family owned, not some big Chevy dealership, but just some mm-hmm. used car dealer that has a good <clears throat> reputation. You call them and you say, I'm buying this car sight unseen. If I give you a hundred bucks, can you hold the car till the transporter gets there? I'm going to send the check to you. You give it to the seller. You hold the car. That way, you know, they can't be in on the scam if someone's trying to scam you. And that works phenomenal. They're always, I mean, I did it with my, uh, I did bought a Roadmaster station wagon from Maryland a couple of years ago and the guy wouldn't even take my money. I was like, no, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Like you're, you're ensuring that I'm not going to get scammed. Like he goes, no, I just, you're just not taking any space. Like I have car transporters here all the time. He was just wow. drop it off. And so it's a great way to, if you ever buy a car site unseen, just there's no way that that guy's in on the scam. So <laughs> that's, pretty good well. pro t- that's a good pro tip. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was thinking of another one. I was acquiring a car, but this was a, a, not a crazy, crazy story, but uh, unique all the same. So I don't know if you've ever sold a car multiple times. Like you sold it, came back to you, sold it again. Ever had that happen? Mm, I don't believe so. So I had one that we, it, it was kind of a group of friends that we owned this with. So I think we sold it three times. Um, so oh, to each other? No, no, to other okay. people. I completely. So I have one car that me, me and a buddy sold back and forth three times. <laughs> it's actually a part of one of my later stories, but that deal details irrelevant to it. <laughs> we um we had a shop teacher. He's the coolest shop teacher ever. Uh, if you any if you went to Whitewater High School, Mister Wins, everybody knows him. He was just like the best, right? And he'd end up with these cars that people donated to the high school that just said, "Hey, like work on this, have have the class, have fun with it." And sometimes he just get so many of them that he'd say, you know, you guys go play with this in the farm or whatever, go, go run on the track or whatever you want to do with it. Just go have fun. Don't, don't ever register it though. And uh, he gave us this Toyota Tercel. It was a 1989 Toyota Tercel with push button, four wheel drive, and a button on the shifter you can put on the four wheel drive. And, uh, I remember us getting on the car hauler and it was one of those like dolly ones where you just put like the one axle on it. And like, it didn't compute to us. that It was four wheel drive at the time that was like front wheel drive to sell. And I'm dragging it with the front tires on this with my Silverado and somebody had pushed the button. So we're dragging the rear tires down the, <laughs> down the highway, not realizing like, man, this thing pulls really heavy, but uh, we got <laughs> all the way home, uh, you know, got it started up. And he said, yeah, the, the transmission might be shot on it. You might have to fix that. So Turned out to be fine, and we beat the heck out of that thing. I mean, we were driving to the farm in the mud, just doing drifts with it, like pretending we're rally drivers, jumping the thing, like anything we do. We'd have a whole car full of people just going over bumps and jumps and stuff like that at the farm, just laughing. And I remember we got a bunch of beach balls, fill it up, and we're just, you know, people with no seatbelts on, just the wildest stuff. And, uh, one time we did a drift and it ripped the tires right off of it. Just like the two, the two front tires just came right off the rim and we get all done with it. And, you know, we had cut some things in the body, I think, 
did some different mods to it. And uh, eventually we blew the clutch out on it. But, you know, we took it back to the farm and we decided, hey, let's put this thing up for sale. And we found a guy and he paid us 400 bucks for it. We had got this thing for free. So we were happy with that. And uh, we saw him driving around with it for like years. And um, the shop teacher eventually said something to us like, hey, is that that car I gave you that I told you not to put on the street ever? Yeah, sorry. Um, and the guy eventually, I forgot what went with it. Oh, the brakes went out and he just didn't really like fixing it. So he gave it to us again. <laughs> and, uh, we did some like big front wheel drive burnouts with it. My back, my buddy's place. It just became the vehicle. We just, again, trashed on once in a while because it didn't have brakes. And, uh, somebody bought it from us eventually because they wanted a fuel efficient car and they put some brakes on it and drove it for a while and eventually they didn't need it anymore so they gave it back to us again <laughs> and so we sold it and we never got it back again but we i think we figured out that we made about fifteen hundred dollars off this car and <laughs> didn't do anything to it other than just treat it really poorly so That's awesome. that was one of the wildest um <laughs> scenarios i had so whenever i see a tercel wagon i'm always like oh yeah well, those things are great. This it's just bulletproof, right? <laughs> Other than the clutch, yeah, it breaks. Yeah. True Toyota. <laughs> yeah, exactly. when, you said, uh, when you say a car came back to you, I don't mean you like. I didn't expect that you never actually paid a penny for it. it just kept yeah, falling back we, in your lap. We, we ne never, never bought it. We literally had title and everything though, so it was always legit. It wasn't like we were just like moving around, like signing titles, <laughs> gifted to, right? <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, that. That was uh that was interesting one and we, we did that with other cars too. We had a Subaru Justy that we got from free from somebody and again that's out the farm we had like four wheel trails and different things. So we would just take these cars, get them for fifty bucks. I remember we had a shifter language that broke along. We just used a vice grips to hold it together and just drove it home and then welded it and bombed around on that for a while. So um we had a Silverado we did that with. Um but yeah. And a ranger, so lots of wild little beating on cars out of the farm. It was it was a good time. Nice, yeah. The, <laughs> the one I kind of alluded to when we were talking earlier was um. So like like I mentioned before, one of my favorite cars is a '59 Buick. Uh, that's the logo for the podcast, and that was a car that I owned. Um, but I've actually had three of those, and uh, only one ran. But the first one I ever got was a two-door which are very hard to find and very valuable um but uh i was probably 21 22 at the time and a good friend of mine who also loves that car uh he sends me a text of a craigslist link it's somewhere up in upper minnesota middle of nowhere and for two thousand dollars 59 buick i mean don't know much about it but it's complete i can see it's got a little rust black red interior um we're very rough hasn't probably run since the late 70s but it's a two-door 59 buick like this <laughs> these are hard to find so in two grand um his uh you know was dirt cheap for that one second here so anyways uh i was like man that's a really good deal but you know we're in illinois at the time like that's what six hours each way to get up there i'm like man that's that's just way too much work to go with that car for two grand right now so like on a whim, I was like, well, I just met this uh, auto shipper who is very, he's such a character. He delivered a 73 Mustang for my dad and he just, he left an impression on me. I was like, this guy's really funny. If I ever need something shipped, he was a 
owner operator had his own truck, giant rig, enclosed trailer. And uh, I uh, call him just to get a quote, like how much would it cost for you to deliver a car non-running, no brakes from, you know, middle of nowhere, Minnesota to Rockford, Illinois. And he goes, what's the name of the town? And I was like, whatever it was, tell him. He goes, well, here's the thing, Mike. I'm an hour from that town right now. And I was like, oh, oh, really? And he's like, he's have you paid for it yet? I was like, no. He goes, how much is it? I was like, two grand. So here's the thing, Mike. I got two grand on me. You want me to pay for it? <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is meant to be. I have to buy this car. So I called the guy back uh, who I told him. I told him, like, oh, I'm going to see if I can come out next week, maybe. The seller. And uh, he's like, hey, I got a shipper that can be there in an hour and give you cash. And he's like, what? Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the guy ends up picking it up. And my buddy texted me at 5 p.m. on Friday. And Saturday by 9 a.m., the car was in my driveway. That's wild. Just financed and closed trailer delivered. He charged me 200 bucks to pick it up. So $2,200. Oh, my God. He, said he, had, he had an open spot. And he's heading back right through town anyways. And he only met me once. But uh, apparently, <laughs> I left a good impression on him because he uh, yeah. spotted me that. Yeah, my, <laughs> father that was, a truck, my father's a truck driver. I'll tell you, $200 doesn't take you too far. <laughs> no, no. Um, on one second. My wife left the door open up. Oh, sorry. So I think we're back down to 32 degrees in here now. She left it open for two minutes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take it open. No. Um, also, I was like, why am I freezing again? Oh, the door's <laughs> cracked. Um, yeah, anyways, that was that was a wild one. But then my buddy who found the car, it sat in my garage for like three years and I was moving and I was like, well, you know, if you can come get it, you can have it. So I sold it in for like the same price and then he didn't do much with it. So two years later, I bought it back. And we might have done it one more time where I sold it to him and he sold it to me, or he just stored it in an exchange money. It was going to be his. Um, but that one we never got around to. And I found the four door flat top that became my driver in that car, just in a space for it. So I sold it to a guy down in Kentucky. But I might, as I was thinking about the story, I might hit that guy up and see if he ever did anything with it. And maybe I'll buy it back because <laughs> it would be hilarious. <laughs> just over 12 years, just keep moving that car around and no one touched it because I could actually finally have space to do something with it, you know, in the next five years. But we had that fox body that was in my garage it was kind of like that like um you, you saw that gray one i had for a little while in here like yeah buddy bought that when he was 16 we worked on it built it up and sat for years you know we restarted the project sat for years again and now i see that thing in marketplace like every six months like somebody else is buying it selling it buying it selling it i, I don't know why it's not working out for people but <laughs> i mean the chassis was pretty soft <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> that's but. It. everyone's like oh this thing looks great then they get it and they're like ah no i want something nicer yeah that's the thing it was repainted and like it was it was a beat car like it was an 89 yeah, it was an 89 fox body that we bought in 2002 so it at that point was not a collector car it was just a old car right um and fix it all up but yeah still this old car um with probably twenty thousand dollars in the motor and drivetrain right but... nice. <laughs> yeah so, I, I oh go ahead no go ahead say this probably wasn't your that wasn't your story that was just your add on to the mine right so oh yeah yeah for sure yeah. yeah for sure yeah actually i don't have another uh too wild one like that in purchasing stories or um wild scenarios i have some good like situations we got into but maybe we'll save that for other ones I, i've had some like uh car racing and uh some car crash 
a really good car crash. Not not good, but <laughs> I survived it. So, uh, but we'll we'll that, save like, that for another day. Yeah, yeah. But so, yeah. I, I guess. Know. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I don't know if you had another story too. You know. Uh, yeah. Well, there's one I got that's not so much a well, it's it's about a car, but more about the motor. Um, so it started out as a car that my dad had when I was in high school. I think he sold it when I was going in my sophomore year. Um, and it was a 70 GTO Ram Air 4 Judge 4 speed, which if you're familiar with GTOs, that is the cream of the crop. That's as good as it gets. The only thing more valuable than it is a convertible Ram Air 4 Judge. But as far as hard tops go, it was polar white with a red interior, non-numbers matching, which was very, very common on Ram Air 4 Pontiacs. That was their highest horsepower motor. And Pontiac used to use a nylon timing gear. And these Ram Air 4s were high revving motors and they were all drag cars. So within six months to a year of being raced, they would strip the teeth off the uh, timing gear and piston valve contact, and they would blow the motors apart. So everyone, most of the ones that you see are SR blocks, service replacement. Mm -hmm. um, so the finding an original it's WW code, numbers matching car, is very hard. They're out there, but those are just the ones that weren't raced, which was, you know, not yeah. very common. So we find this, we found this one as a project, <clears throat> I think when I was like in eighth grade and pick it up and it was in wisconsin not too far from where you're at so pretty close to me and the guy tells us the story it was a drag car all through the 70s had all these different motors at a 455 in it um, but he had a bunch of parts to put back together so we get it home and pull frame off um build a date coded correct ram air four motor um put it all together uh frame off restore like i said and he sells it my sophomore year to he didn't quite finish i think it got like 85% of the way, but he had so many cars going at that time. We just couldn't get to them all. So a, a friend of a friend bought it who who's a pretty big into Pontiacs and he finishes it and sells it. And then the car kind of like that Mustang you're talking about, it just, it just became kind of an eBay whore. You just see it on eBay <laughs> all the time. It was on auction. It was like, it, it never found a home. So let's fast forward till this is 2011 ish. So this is years later, I'm probably 21, 22 at this point. Before I could really play with cars, I was probably younger. I think I was like 19 or 20. Before I could buy and sell a lot of cars, I was playing with um, rare car parts because they're, they're more affordable. So I put out wanted ads for Pontiac Ram Air 4 parts, Buick Stage 1 parts, old W30 parts. So I just had them all for Craigslist. And one day a guy calls me and says he has a Ram Air 4 engine block. And I was like, what? Like a WW? And he's like, yeah, like for $1,600. bucks." i am like, what? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's like every money I had at the time. But I was like, all right. Uh, so I drive up there and I pick it up and look at it and sure enough, and it also has a partial VIN on it. So I was like, this went to a car. So I get home and just out of curiosity, um, the, the motor has the serial number of the car than the, the year it was built in the factory. So it said like zero B for Baltimore and then six digits for the, their serial number for the car. So I was like, well, Ramir fours are super rare and it's a 70 block. So it's. The, the, I know I know all the numbers before it would be like two four two three seven two is Pontiac forty two is GTO thirty seven meets hardtop unless it came out of a convertible but they only made like thirty of those so I doubt it came out of a convertible so I just put in the VIN number two four two three seven zero B those six digits the GTO judge registry comes up polar white red um, which they made too many of those either right. and then it, then I put it together it was less than an hour from my dad bought that car all those years ago. And I went, this is the numbers matching motor for the car we used to own, which this, this never happens. Like, I can you imagine if I found it when we had it? It adds like 20% of value to the car. So 
the car was on eBay at the time. So they had some dealership in Florida that was selling it. So I contacted him and I was kind of like, you know, I could have been a dick and just been like, Hey, what are you going to pay? You know, right. <laughs> it's kind of had a massive chunk of value to your car. Um, but we agreed on a price and it was, I was very happy with it. It would be the biggest home run I've ever had of any deal. And he's like, all right, send me the pics, prove it. And you know, we'll, we'll go from there. So I sent him the pics of it and never hear back from him. And I'm like, what is there? Is he suspicious? Like what's going on? Right. Then a friend of my dad calls me and he goes, did you check eBay? And we're like, no, he goes, the guy listed your pictures with his car and said, now selling with numbers matching motor. So oh, he wanted wow. to get it sold and then he's going to pay me. <clears throat> yep. So I was like, oh, wonderful. So whatever. Like if he sells it, he's still going to do it. Hopefully it adds value. Then <laughs> I get, I get a call from another Pontiac guy I knew from years ago down in Arizona. And he's like, man, he was like, I'm on your side with this. All those people on that forum, like calling you a scammer. I'm like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? That's the more you got looped into it. Shoot. So the guy my dad sold it to saw it on there. And then he came to the conclusion that my dad either restamped a fake block and sold it to this guy or that we withheld the numbers matching motor from him just to hold it for ransom later. And he would not be convinced otherwise. So he goes on there and starts slandering me and my dad saying, yeah. he said, we're Buick guys and we don't know anything about Pontiacs and this and that. And I, I'm sitting here with God is my witness going, no, I bought this engine block. I couldn't believe it either. I know it sounds crazy. Um, and long story short, the guy who's selling the car wants nothing to do with it. He doesn't know if he can trust me anymore. He thinks I'm trying to scam him because this guy just asserted it. And all these are <clears> big, big, big wood collectors believe them. And I'm like, wonderful. So whatever. I'm just gonna put the motor on the block or on eBay. It's still a WW block. Someone with a Rammer 4 will buy it. Right. So this guy from Canada comes down to buy it. And he's like, Yeah, he goes, I've I've had Rammer, a ton of Rammer 4s. He's I saw the pictures of those uh stamps and all the numbers. He goes, If this is fake, you did a hell of a job because <laughs> these are the exact perfect factory stamps. So he gets it home and he has three other WW blocks. So after this is all said and done and it all kind of settles down. He comes on the forum where everyone was calling me a scammer and goes, he goes, I have three Rammer 4 blocks sitting next to this one. He goes, I put in my crown around all of them to see if it's been decked, like resurfaced to take the numbers off and restamp. Um, he goes, not only is it the original thickness, it's thicker than my other two original blocks. He goes, it is by far, it is untouched. All the numbers are the exact same as all the other ones. So he puts this big, long, like all this forensics he's done to show that there's no way it was ever resurfaced or changed. Like it's all original casting. And the guy who accused me of being a scammer just replies, no need to convince us. You already talked yourself into it. <laughs> so he still wouldn't believe it. I'm like, but that was, that was just the wildest roller coaster of like, I found something, some super important piece of history to a car that we used to own. And then the car and the motor were never allowed to get back together. You know, I found it all because one guy just intervened, but yeah, that's that was a fun uh... one. The, the power of the internet, right? Like you allow people yeah. to say whatever and they this want. Is, this was pre like this was before all those guys that aided like on Facebook groups and stuff. So it was like supercar forum or something. It was right. like something that's probably obsolete now. But, I remember yeah, spending I way too that. much time in those forums, that, um, you know, for different <laughs> yeah. cars I was into. But. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, thinking about bottomed out. If you're ready for that, um, sure. I, I actually was watching another um show not long ago and there there was somebody who was a younger guy who was arguing that that cheap cars don't exist anymore you know that all of them got bought up by all of the 
40 plus year olds and it's left nothing for the 20 and 30 year olds. Right. So we used to be able to buy this guy was saying, he used to be able to buy an air cooled nine eleven for 15 grand. And now you can't do that. Well, I mean, that's just how it kind of works. Right. We we've kind of talked about, it's kind of like a window of time that these cars exist in that they are cheap and they will eventually get outside of that window and go away. You don't be able to afford them anymore. And um, it, it was just interesting that he, really felt that all those cars were gone, but you're just not correlating it correctly. Like you have to then think about that was 2008 that he was talking about that one $15,000 in 2008 is what, like $28,000 now, right. (laughs) Buying power. Um, And it's just a different kind of car. Like, so now you'd be looking at like what's in the 2010s, you know, that's kind of gotten to that cheap. And if, there's a car that's eight grand now. Like we talk about how we used to buy Fox bodies for four grand or whatever. Like it just, that was a thing, right. Or whatever cars. Um, now, if you can buy a GTO for eight, that's like, that's a steal. Might even be a better deal than that ever was. So again, right. just to <clears throat> think about that. I think there's still deals out there. There's a lot of them that just, they maybe aren't ever really going to be our cars, but kids that are 16 that always want to buy one, like they're getting of age. They're going to be able to buy that dream car they wanted again. So um, with that said, uh, the one I thought about, I, I think about a Japanese one. I've done a couple different uh, countries of origin and I'm, I'm going to go with the 370Z, which I know isn't that cheap yet, but they made them for so long. You can get like a 2011, I think is when they made them originally. And they're all kind of the same the 350 isn't that much different when you really think about it but it's the same thing when you look back at the 240s and 260s and 280s like which all those have lt ones and elmer ls ones but it's a whole other story but same things happen in the 350s um but i think the 370 is kind of going to be about as cheap as it gets even the new 400 is the same car um but most of them have been drifted most of them been road race tore apart like just crashed so but there's still a few out there and they're not really that sought after because the Supras and everything else came out. And I've seen some in the teens. And again, if you, if you have that kind of, uh, you know, passion for a Japanese sports car, which uh, it's not my favorite thing, but I think they're, I, I respect them. Right. Uh, I think the V6s sound awful, but that's just my own <laughs> um, feeling on them. But but it's a cheap car, good transmission, <clears throat> you know. Rear wheel drive. Just, yeah, exactly. Rear wheel drive. You're sitting over the axle. It's a fun little car. They can get in the teens. And I just don't see that ever going down. It's just people who used to love those Datsuns back in the 70s. Um, you're going to have that same era of people that just loved the 370s, like in the Bush era or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, so I guess that wouldn't, yeah, be actually probably Obama at that point. But you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. that's the one I'm sticking with. And I've driven a few of them. I don't know if you've ever, have you driven a 350, a 370? <clears throat> no, but a mutual friend or a friend of a friend had a, had drifted one. And uh, my, my buddy was telling me how he would drift the thing on the weekends and drive it to work all week long. And the thing just, he could not believe the abuse they could withstand. Um, oh, yeah. But they're, yeah, they were, they're fast little light cars for what they are and cheap and, at, you know, great drifting platforms. I mean, there's no shortage of those. But like you said, it's kind of like, Fox buys being turned into drag cars. It's just they were cheap, fast, good platforms. So it's hard to find a, a nice original one now. Yeah, I think it was a VQ series motor. So it's not like 
all that closely related to what was in the GTR or whatever of the era, but like what was in the Infinity G35 and the Q50. Oh, like my brother had a G30 or a Q35 a few years back, automatic. So yeah. it was the same car. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Was, I, those actually had a back seat, which was a benefit to them. Right. But um, yeah. But yeah, those, and they had four door versions as well, actually. So um, good cars. Like I've seen a lot at track days that do pretty well and they don't seem to get into overheating situations but i think where people run into problems so they start throwing boosts on the motor right and then getting hot it's just not made to have that much power necessarily but you want to have fun for less than 20 grand um which is getting increasingly hard to do with cars um and you know if that's your flavor i i don't think you'd be losing money owning one of those i think if you sat on it for a little bit you'd probably be okay for a while again to call out the preludes and the integras and everything else in the early 90s that's kind of gotten kind of wild um i don't know if they'll do that but you're probably safe to say that you you could make five grand off of it if you kept it for five ten years yeah that's a good choice um yeah i was thinking about this one and i just want to get out of the way because i know it's going to come up eventually so like i've stated before a lot of the cars i'm going to bring up in these early few ones we do are going to be things i've recently played with because the reason I'm doing it is because that's exactly the mentality about it being bottomed out. And there's a lot of cars that we got a little glimpse during COVID when all the prices went crazy. Oh, oh, for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, you saw the Vipers go nuts. You saw the Fox bodies go nuts. Some things have come back down to reality now. A lot of that's from the interest rates being so high. But you can see what, what wants to take off when people want to move money into cars. And these were definitely in that category. And I, I had one that uh, I sold right after the hype kind of started to settle down, but the 94 to 96 GM B and D bodies, I'm going to lump them all together. Cause I'm not going to do an episode on the Cadillac Fleetwood, the Impala SS, the Roadmaster wagon, <clears throat> but that's the, the B and D platform. The B bodies are the, the, I forgot which one's B and D. I think B is the Caprice Roadmaster Impala. And then the caddies, the D body it's on, it's on different chassis. Or a little bit different, longer wheelbase, I think. But um, they all came with the LT1 motor. Um, they were what most full-size car guys consider to be the last full-size GM. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the full-size yeah. station where we had the perimeter frame, the full-size Cadillac. We mentioned that before. Um, the wagons, there was there's ones hitting mid twenties with low miles, which was insane. Um, mm -hmm. SSs have always been pretty hot until. Until like the CTS V started coming out in like 04, yeah. 05, all that, people kind of lost interest in them. But for a while, it was just a cool having a performance sedan. I mean, it was a 15 second car. It wasn't oh, that fast. That was like, sight. that was my car. Like, that's in high school, that's who I wanted in Paul SS. Like, I was going to buy a Caprice and clone it, right? Because that's, yeah, that was a good idea. So I have the wheels. I think I've told you this before. I have like the original wheels off on Paul SS and they happen to fit my Silverado. So oh, nice they're actually on there which i'll say it looks really good on there actually fits the truck really well but yeah i, I couldn't afford those because i had a, a buick roadmaster as my first car which is you know that's a b body and i put the old school full-size 15 inch buick rallies on it so i had the buicks oh, yeah. under caps and stuff and then uh, my dad actually kind of taught me like welding and body work we cut the hood scoops out of a rusted 70 to 72 gs hood and grafted them into my roadmaster and painted <laughs> the hood so i had a 70 gs hood i put all gs badging so i made a roadmaster gs out of a <laughs> out of a road you know because i couldn't afford a pal ss but um that's where i've always i'm kind of kind of partial to those cars we had two 94 fleetwoods growing up um 
<laughs> we should we actually had a 95 Fleetwood limo that my dad oh, had that we would nice. we would take on vacation and stuff. We, we got it for like nothing. <laughs> it, was, it was an eBay purchase and it was out in Colorado and it was like going nowhere. So he like bid like six grand or something, 40,000 miles. And he won the auction. He's like, oh, I guess we will pick it up. So he had one of his friends go <laughs> fly out to uh, Colorado and drive it home. And that was what 2004. I mean, the car was only nine years old. It was insane. Wow. But uh, we we took it to Yellowstone, uh, Buick GS Nationals. We drove all over the country. My grandparents would come with and drink wine in the back while we were going across the country. It was awesome. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was fun. We eventually sold it because everybody wanted to borrow it and they'd all bring it back worse than they yeah took right it. so it became such a burden we should like detail it and clean up puke and all this stuff because people go to parties and go to concerts in it cousins right. and whatnot but yeah anyways back to the let's talk about those those cars i think are gonna do some good money i know they've gotten a little bit of um like the wagons in particular have gotten some uh a little bit of love lately because i know like Dak shepherd the actor he put an lsa in one and like smoked a lamborghini on a viral video on a runway and uh, he, Jay Leno's garage had it on there. So he did like a crazy, like $100,000 build on one. And the, so the wagons are starting to get appreciated. And, and a lot, like a lot of old cars, they are very prone to rust and like the spare wheel well and stuff. So finding a rust free one's not easy. They were family cars. So a lot of them just got destroyed by kids, that turned used, into demo right. cars. Um, so you find a clean one's hard. And, and the ones that are nice, I mean, like I said, you see a, a 50,000 mile one do 20 some grand if it's checks all the boxes and is clean and got good options. Um, Fleetwoods are the same way. They're, they're doing high teens if they're super low miles and Impel SS have always been kind of, they never really dip below like, you know, eight grand for a decent one. That wasn't a complete pile of junk. Right. But the Caprices like are the, probably your, your cheapest buy though. Roadmaster sedans. Yeah. Those Impel SS remind me of the Marauder existed for a while right i mean there's so many yeah. panthers out there that you can get a convict one way or another but the marauders were kind of cool too um yeah i think the yeah. thing with, with those wagons from the 90s too is that um there's a whole different buyer group in those like there's the people that grew up with them right but now i think there's a younger group than us that like it's more like ironic to own one of those like they think it's kind of like hipster cool. yeah yeah exactly right so i think they actually are probably bring up the prices of those too because they just kind of want that yeah. kind of weird you know wagon which yeah. they did for a while like ford had their like wagon vehicle they made i don't know if any other people did like i forgot that it was freestyle or something like that um reflex um so i could see those wagons catching on people and them really want to pick them up yeah for me it's definitely nostalgia we had two of them growing up we had a 91 caprice which is the same body style I specified yeah. 94 to 96 because those were the LT1 years. Yeah. This was a 305 TBI, 180 horse, but <laughs> same body style. But And then we had a 93 Roadmaster, which was like the 350 TBI, the pre-LT1 motor. Um, but that was the Woody wagon. And just uh, when I had, my, I bought my wagon a couple, like a year and a half ago. And like when I got it, I just like was kind of looking at it. And I, I sat in that backward seat and just mm -hmm. like. The memories that came flooding back like the smell of that interior the release handle like the spare tire well just like all of it like i could just hear like all these 95.3 the station my mom used to listen to like playing going just to elementary school <laughs> i mean it was just like pure nostalgia i, I should have kept that car but uh I'm, I'm kind of i've been thinking about looking for another one honestly because i think they're they're as cheap as they're gonna be because there's there's not many nice ones left yeah well i have a story to close out now you remind me of this rear back um facing backseat it's a crazy car story but it's when i was 
in middle school, so I wasn't driving yet. But um, friend's father had one with a rear-facing back seat. And we were in the back and driving through a nearby town. And we thought it'd be funny to act like we were kidnapped, like we were tied up. So arms on our backs, pushed a note up to the window that said help. And we're just laughing. These drivers are looking at us all crazy. Uh, he drops, we get dropped off at my friend's mother's house because they were divorced. Get a call like three hours later. Cops came, picked this guy up, tore apart his house. BC, oh, no. they got called in for kidnapping kids and uh, they got the plates and everything. And oh man, my friend got in so much trouble for that. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Oh. So, so whenever I think about rear facing seats, I think about that scenario, and that was that was a dumb move on my part. But uh, same it's time, brutal. Uh, that's brutal. Pretty good story. That can, that can ruin a guy, even though you're innocent. Like people just get that, like as you know, playing a game of telephone and just hearing that second hand. Like, did that guy really do it? Like, oh, exactly, be... exactly. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, that's brutal, man. Yeah. So just, <laughs> just hope your your kids don't leave any paper back there for your kids. So right <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> awesome well yeah um hey guys like we said before you know please like comment review uh especially on itunes you know help boost the algorithm a little bit uh follow us on instagram at the motor madhouse anything else you want to say steve no no i'm just yeah i'll i'll have to get you some photos of those in polysess wheels my silver rod i'll share those with you so you can see what that looks like but no i'm i'm oh ready to do this again and talk more cars with you but i'm ready for it to be warm so we can get out there and do some things i can't so. wait yeah <laughs> oh yeah it's the other thing i real quick i had my uh i think i've told you a couple episodes ago i want to get that motor pulled out of my parts car and into this car and i've been toying with it and i, I got it pretty close but um basically where it's at is i changed the valve stem seals I, I changed all the oil uh plugs whole ignition system it runs phenomenal but it, once it gets up to temp it just keeps billowing smoke out of the oil fill on the valve cover but the more I was watching it, it's also wisping off the outside of the cylinder heads. It's not anywhere where it's leaking. I think it's just built up old carbon that's just oh, burning so off. It's pressurizing. And, or, or yeah, well, I think it's just burning off. I think it's just oh, okay. junk. Because now the, okay. the oil's out of it. I, I was suspecting that the that bad oil was probably 10 to 25 years old. Who knows? It was black. Um, but it's been sitting forever. So it's got a little fresh oil, and it's doing the same thing. It's definitely not seals, because now I fired it up and it was cold. There's no puff out of the exhaust. There's nothing. Okay. And it's, uh, I'm the only reason I can't let it run too long is the radiator is shot in it. So basically my next step is, is I want to pull the current radiator out and my buddy sold me an aluminum radiator that doesn't fit the car I'm going to put it in, but it will work if I just strap it in place temporarily and then just let it run for like an hour just rev it up and just let it burn everything off. So I think I just haven't let it run long enough to burn off all this old junk that's stuck to all the cast iron because it's got great compression. So I know the rings aren't leaking. I did all the valve stem seals, so it's got to be just it's too runs too good to be a problematic motor. I don't think it's damaged. Yeah, I would imagine it's been sitting for a long time. That's probably likely it, right? Yeah. So. But then we got hit with a foot of snow. Snow it's buried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's just kind of put a little damper on everything. See you in so. two months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so, so yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Later.